Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome back, Couch Potatoes and TV Junkies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Picked Up, the TV Pilot Review Podcast. Oh, we did it. We did it. My name, and I hope this is your first introduction to me ever, is Robert. And I'm one of your two co-hosts. And your other co-host is my good friend, former roommate, and (laughs) co-host... Rich. <laughs> hey man, what's happening? Oh, not much. Not this much is, at all. This is fantastic. This yeah. is a great day. This is a fantastic day. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for tuning. I mean, I'm not gonna do much setup, but uh, yeah. Again, TV pilot review podcast. We're old friends. Here we are sitting down for another great episode. Um, it's a Saturday afternoon. And should I disclose my previous activities or no? <laughs> like, I'm, should we tease it and maybe disclose it later or Home, just be upfront about homeboy's it? Homeboy's a bottle of wine in. That's not an exaggeration. And, I, and it was unplanned. But I've drank in an entire bottle of Hagafin white Riesling wine. I've never drank in a whole bottle of wine before. Oh, well, welcome to the club. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel like, I mean, that's like an Italian staple. Yeah. What would really be impressive is to drink one of those jugs of wine. Right. I feel like that's the idea of drinking a bottle of wine has been hijacked by white women. Yeah. From the Italian people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. A bottle is a good unit. It is. It's a good unit of measurement. Yeah. And, and, And contrary to what it may seem like, it's not unreasonable for a human being. Or even frowned upon. It shouldn't be frowned upon. Like a regular sized bottle like that. Sorry about that. No a regular sized bottle like that. Yeah, what are we... Most certainly. But then you have monsters that'll drink like the big bottles. The big bottles. Or boxes. Or jugs. That's Man, insane. I can't. I cannot get on board with boxes. Like it's just... It's got way too much of a stigma around it. And mind you, I've drank those big bottles before. I've had two of those in a night. Yeah. Doing rumbles before. Hell yeah. I am said monster. Are we talking about, how much was this? Was this a 750 milliliter? Probably, I feel like that's yeah. standard wine yeah. size. Yeah, that's like the single serve wine bottle. I work too hard to drink out of a box. I just want to say that. I spend too much time working to drink. I drink purely out of glass bottles. If you're going to drink out of a or box, aluminum you, might, cans. you might as well live out of a box. Exactly. That's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, hey. Hey again, Rich. <laughs> Robert gets here, and What's we kind of like chill for a little bit, and yeah. then uh, you ask if, if we have any beer, which I thought we did, <laughs> but it turns out we just had an empty box of, of the empty of case of beer style. in the fridge. Yeah. Typically, you know, Rich is, you know, always, um, you know, has a, an old style or two, or PBR, or high life left over. Keep I it mean, stocked. Yeah, exactly. And typically, we, we party or whatever, or do a, a rumble or something. I so like there's to keep, always leftover I like beer. to keep one in the chamber. Exactly. One in the chamber. <laughs> Just one. Um, but there wasn't. Uh, however, um, yeah, Rich's Liz, roommate. Liz Anderson. The lovely Liz Anderson, hashtag Fanderson. Um, had a a bottle of Riesling, which I totally hijacked and just drank all. She did offer it, but... She was generous about it. She may have meant a glass. Yeah, well, (laughs) I think I'd probably pull out the 
I'm being generous here. I think like nine dollars this bottle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cost. Yeah. Okay. Well, we do more than just drink wine and be assholes on this podcast. We don't have to. We don't have to, but we, we attempt to. Uh, what we do here is we watch a lot of television. Uh, in particular, we watch pilots, and we love to discuss uh, the implications of that. And if you, if you really are listening for the first time, thank you, and thank you for tolerating the intro. Um, but uh, Rich, uh, last week, previously uh, disclosed a show that we watched a pilot episode yeah. of, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But before we do, we will just sort of meander a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, uh, uh, you actually, before we uh, start recording, you're yeah. about to bring up the fact that you need to read more comics, which yes. um, I just want to throw what I'm reading out there right now. I finished the first two compendiums of Walking Dead, which is like up to issue 96. So like Negan's about to show up. That, you know, kudos to you for going and finishing the compendiums. Because again, you know, I think Walking Dead is probably at like in the one 30s yeah. or so. I know the wise. third compendium's out there. If if you were going to undertake catching up, there's really a third compendium? I'm pretty sure. Hmm. I was going to say, you've done an excellent job of catching up. Yeah. That series started uh, 13 years ago. Right. And you've read almost up to current day. Yeah. You've, you're about two years to three years behind current day. I'm basically caught up to the show, too. You read about 10 years worth of comic books. I'll tell you, dude, that felt like nothing. Well, I read 10 years of comic books on the John. Congratulations. Excellent. Thank you. Can I please, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad to have a friend who's actually reading real comic books. Um, um, please continue to read Walking Dead. Yeah. And if you would, pick up some Invincible for me. Okay, we'll uh, do. Robert Kirkman's superhero book, which was launched maybe a year or less after Walking Dead, yeah. has never gotten the type of attention, which is fair. It's, it's you know, I don't blame anybody, but... Um, but I do hear from people. It's really good. Um, I fell behind on Invincible. I actually, I probably need another compendium or two of Invincible, but yeah. all I can say is Invincible... If, if you understand that Robert Kirkman is a great writer and enjoyed Walking Dead. Yeah. Please check out Invincible. Will do. Yeah. I um from Image Comics. I went from uh finishing the compendium to starting the other book that I bought when I bought the compendium um which was uh The Saga of Swamp Thing. I think I saw that. That's yeah. excellent. So, I just started that. I'm not really like into anything yet, but I'm excited to do that. Now, am I correct in believing that Saga of Swamp Thing ran for I believe 20 issues before okay. The famous Alan Moore stepped on. Is that correct? You have the first trade. Why don't we go get it? Can you hang on for two Yeah, seconds? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is the one with Alan Moore because the guy at the shop was telling me how, like, it's not, like, the start of it, but it's the, um, it's, like, it starts pretty much when Alan Moore. Totally, exactly. And it. as it should be. I mean, I've never read the preceding 20 issues uh, of Saga of Swamp Thing. Um, however, I mean, they're not really touted as quite the same. Um, again, actually this does include issue 20, um, which was the conclusion of the previous writer. And the second, uh, issue is the anatomy lesson, which is famous as Alan Moore's, uh, reinvention of Swamp Thing. Okay. Kudos to you. Did you particularly ask for some Swamp Thing? I did. Excellent. Way to go. Man, my boy Richie is making me so proud. He's like my baby boy right now. That's all I want to do, man. Fuck yeah, dude. Um, Fantastic stuff. Um, uh, I actually have a copy of 
of the issue. It's not like crazy valuable or nothing, mm-hmm. but like I was very excited when I bought it. I bought it at a convention. We're talking Saga of Swamp Thing number twenty one, Alan Moore's first issue. Um, do you want to disclose any more about Alan Moore's run, or have you have you started reading this much? I'm I'm like super early into it. I'm like right here. Oh, you probably. Yeah. St- oh, I think you're still in the first issue. I'm, I probably am. We'll save it for for the next episode, but um, all I can say is you got some great stuff ahead of you. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, there's actually I bought the volume after this mm-hmm. um, that contains just a great two issue arc. Um, that's one of my favorite stories. You know, again, it, Alan Moore gets so much credit for V for Vendetta and Watchmen and The Killing Joke, all of which is deserved. But the the catalog of other great material he's written sure. almost becomes underappreciated because all we're looking at is like... Those the, big three. Right, the big... You know, it's like Tarantino's hits sort of outweighing his other great efforts. Speaking of Killing Joke, did you see the trailer for for the animated killing joke? I did, yes. Thoughts? I am pretty excited. Um those animated Batman movies based off of like the those big like arcs, story arcs yeah. are usually pretty fucking great. They are they you know, um obviously and we've addressed this before, you know, it's like Marvel's clearly winning the cinematic war. The animation war is well in DC's hands. Very, very well in DC's well, hands. Well, well in DC's hands. They're winning a lot of battles elsewhere that people aren't seeing. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Um, and, you know, The Killing Joke may be the the biggest property that they're attempting to translate. They've yeah. done a couple others. They did The Dark Knight Returns, which is a seminal work. But in two parts. In two parts, right. That was really fucking good. Yeah, you know. Part two is fantastic. You know, they... They're recognizing the great story material and they're translating it. And like you said, like it's kind of still under the radar. That's okay. This is, you know, um, this. But Killing Joke is, I think, getting a ton of publicity. Sure. And because it's R rated, absolutely, it's R rated, and they brought back Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Yeah. Which is huge. And that's the team. Kudos to them. Whatever. You know, I think they're pretty cool. I, I. This is a good situation of like. DC being prepared to pay and Conroy and Hamill or uh, being obviously they need a salary, but like a passion project that they're probably willing to commit to. Sure. I remember when Mark Hamill said that the video games would be the last thing he would do. Yeah. And here he is doing Killing Joe. So I'm very excited. I uh, couldn't be happy. I mean, that's like happy. the big carrot you would be able to dangle. Like here's the, here's the fucking last piece of, of of jewel in the crown for you to do have you read killing joker i have yes yeah. excellent um any thought or you know again don't have to is intense super, very is intense nuts um also uh, the one other um batman animated uh, i want to talk about did you ever uh, watch year one i've not watched year one no i've do read you, year one do you know who did the voice of gordon is it Brian Cranston? Brian Cranston, Hell dude. Yeah. Who did did he? I, I forgot. Gordon's not in uh, Dark Knight Returns. No, excuse er, my whole bottle of wine. He's not. Yeah, he's, no, no, he's, he's not, 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 not alive. No. <laughs> yeah, that's I've right. had a whole bottle of wine. But yes, that's right. Brian Cranston yeah. does uh, Jim Gordon in Year One, which is almost a, which is equally a Gordon story as it is yeah. a Batman story. Which is why it was like so cool that they got him for that. Rich, would you like to know a great piece of trivia? Please. Commissioner Gordon is the is the other oldest 
Batman character in the Batman canon. Batman first appeared in Detective Comics 27 Mm -hmm. in May of 1939. The only character to appear concurrently in that issue that's still in continuity, that's still got named, is Commissioner Gordon. Huh. Whether you who, th- who was after that? Who was the next one after that? Was it Joker? Or Robin? It's it's going to be between... Joker's going to appear in Batman 1, which appears in spring oh, of right. 1940. Okay. Robin is going to appear in Detective Comics 38. I'm not totally sure of the issue date of that. The only person who possibly precedes Robin is Hugo Strange. Hugo Strange might have appeared before Robin. Okay. I know for a fact that Joker, Catwoman, and... That's fucking interesting. Even Alfred. Alfred did not appear until Batman 16. Did not realize that Hugo Strange went back that far. Hugo Strange may... I cannot... I cannot summon his first appearance in my wine-filled brain right now. <laughs> it's okay. It is but okay. Hugo Strange may be the oldest active Batman. There's a wow. villain called Dr. Death, but no one who's ever survived continuity in like a real sense. But yeah. Hugo Strange also... Um, sorry, do you mind if I take another quick detour? Do it. Uh, there is a villain in the DC Universe by the name of the Ultra Humanite, who is your classic mad scientist who has transplanted his brain into multiple vessels, including one, a woman, and two, most famously, an albino ape. However, I only bring this up to say the ultra-humanite appeared, I think, in Action Comics, like, 11 or something. Okay. The ultra-humanite is a very old villain. He might precede Lex Luthor. Wow. Um, I'm not positive about that, but that's another classic old, old old-ass villain. Damn. Yeah. So what are you uh, what are you reading right now? You know, because uh, you were about to say like before we started. Yeah, I'm recording. glad you asked. What I just I made a big uh, purchase to Amazon recently, and one of the things that I got at an incredible deal, and I'm sorry I didn't buy it at a brick and mortar comic shop, but I've spent plenty of money at those. But I bought a trade paperback for Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's uh, Batman current new Fifty Two Batman run volume seven, I believe, Endgame which was the last arc before their final conclusion. Uh, if you're not familiar, back in November or back in 2011, the DC Universe rebooted as the New 52. Mm-hmm. And kind of surprisingly, the runaway hit from that was Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman, which took off in that same year and ran as the series have been running for 52 issues. Um, everyone just appreciated the sort of the jolt of energy and everything that happened in there i read a lot of that series but not all of it so i needed to uh get a couple of trade paperbacks and just google it i mean if you're if if you're reading about a batman comic in the news right now it's it's a scott snyder comic yeah well which is a great thing so i'm currently reading that however it's it's may of 2016 there's a big event going on right now called the dc rebirth okay it's uh from my understanding, it's a one-shot, and it's written by perennial DC godsend, Jeff Johns. And what this is Isn't is... Isn't he kind of busy right now? He is busy. <laughs> he is very busy. You know what? He probably planned to write more comic books, but then a certain movie didn't do as well as they thought it would do. And they really need his help. 
Rich, do you want to shed any light on that? Uh, he pretty much got tapped to like be in charge of the fucking Justice League movies now. Yes, he did. He's going to be not quite the Kevin Feige of, of DC, but like... Not quite, but the equivalent. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Which you could not have tapped a better... You know, it's funny. I mean, obviously, Kevin Feige has done an f- incredible stellar job. I don't know if he wrote any comic books before he did it. I assume yeah. he did not. Jeff Johns, um, man, what a guy! You could not, you could not pick a better successor of the the DC universe than this person. So, uh, but thankfully, he's written this this DC Rebirth, which um, is going to coincide with a lot of comic books. Um, you know, sort of starting over, renumbering. It's not a strict reboot, from what yeah. I've heard. It's not a reboot of the Fifty Two universe. There are so many gray areas when it comes to like reboots. There and- are. Like the universes and stuff. Exactly. It's uh, so hard to keep up with if you're not like in the dirt, in the trenches. You do. Like the dirt is the word because even if you're reading like in that, particularly in this 52 reboot that happened just five years ago, some some uh, properties were completely done from the ground up. Whereas Batman, uh, you know, previously mentioned, was basically just a continuation of the other stuff. They didn't really retcon anything. It's just like, all right, well, we're just going to keep telling Batman stories. <laughs> we're just going to call this Batman number one. Anyways, very excited for all this stuff. Yeah. I got to get to the comic book shop, but there's so many great things. I do want to give a quick shout out. Uh, not even a shout out. Shit, it's the opposite. Um, a blast down? Not a, no, no. It, it is a shout out to the, the late, great Darwin oh, Cook, okay. who I'm not sure if you saw this at all, but uh, comic book artist and author Darwin Cook passed away not too long after Prince. Like, uh, you yeah. know, so we're talking like, whatever, late April, early May, something. And uh, please go out and get yourself some Darwin Cook comic books. Um, the big one is DC's New Frontier, which is a retelling of, their, of the introduction of the DC Silver Age. If you like Batman... Please check out Batman Ego, written by Darwin Cook. Um, fantastic storytelling, uh, particularly for The Dark Knight. But yeah, lots going on with comic books right now. Um, also, the, hey, real quick. Also, Marvel's blowing up their shit, too. Well, that's what I wanted to get to <laughs> next after that. Yes. But like, real quick, what is it with like, when you're in the middle of one of these like reboots, rebirths, like, sure. you know, Earth 1, 2, 5, whatever, like... Do you ever like have to stop and just say what the fuck is going on right now? Like, does it ever get like too muddled and confusing sometimes? Um, you know, it depends who your publisher is. Okay, I would say. Uh, like, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever stopped reading a comic and gone, "What the fuck is happening"? I'm trying to think of the most confusing lineage I can think of, and it's not immediately jumping to my mind. Okay. Typically, they are handled very well. Sure. Big ones you have in DC are in 85, you have the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Then in about 2005, you have the Jeff Johns-led um, Infinite Crisis. Okay. In reference to the, uh, and then after that, a couple years later, you have Grant Morrison's uh, Final Crisis, which really kind of sucked, even though Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison is an ambitious writer who kind of sucks. Yeah. He didn't suck. He's a great guy, but it's not great. Um, his writing, I mean. Or his continuity. Marvel has rebooted multiple times. Right. And Marvel's continuity can get really fucked up. And whereas DC does a very excellent job of recognizing errors in continuity, and actually 
to mention Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison did a tremendous job of basically bringing all the wacky bullshit that happened to Batman in the Golden Age and mm-hmm. Silver Age into the present continuity. Marvel will often just disregard continuity. Sure. DC works it in and does a good job. Marvel will just discard it. Um, so it, it can get confusing, but ultimately the, the characters, the costumes, the themes, they tend to hold true. Yeah. You know, Spider-Man's basically the same Spider-Man we had 50 years ago and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we've basically buried the lead this entire time. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Captain America? Captain America. Okay. Uh, let's give a quick spoiler alert to the spoilers if you don't want to hear about this. Well, here, here's no spoiler. Civil War just smashed the fucking box office, as it yeah. should have. Yeah. We watched that together. It was, it was a great time at the cinema. Fun and fantastic time. Yeah, and we talked about that in the last episode, the Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Yes, one of the crown jewels of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Great job. Uh, we do a quick, re- not a reboot, but uh, we launch another Captain America series, a Steve Rogers series. Uh, and it, it is true, Steve... Rogers has not been cap proper for about two years. Uh, Who has been? Sam Wilson. Falcon has been the active captain. Really? Brother. Yes. I'm not quite sure what the timeline is. Prior to that, actually, when the when the actual Civil War comic book series came out, Cap got killed, and then Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. took up the Captain America mantle, and then I believe um, Cap Steve Rogers was resurrected, and then. For the past two or three years, Sam Wilson has been Captain America, which I do love. That is something I do really love. Sam Wilson's a great character. I love Anthony Mackie as well yeah. as Falcon. Couldn't be more of a fan. Um, so spoiler alert. Recently revealed in this new Captain America reboot was that Cap has been a Hydra sleeper agent for the past 75 years. Which is insane. Which is insane. It's insane. <laughs> it is insane. That's fucking Batshit insane. I have two thoughts about this. One, I applaud. Uh, I, you know, you know, you gotta excuse me. I do this all the time. I do it with TV shows. Do it with comic books. I don't know who who is writing this. I, I don't know either. But some dude. But it, look it up. It Someone takes is some actually balls. Writing. Take some balls. Um, that's a that's a very intriguing storyline, and I'm excited to see where you go with it. Thought two, Cap is the worst Hydra agent ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> Oh, some fucking sleeper agent. You've only fucked up Hydra, and who knows what AIM is? Does anybody out there know what AIM is? I got none. You might recognize it from, oh, maybe one of Rich's favorite films, Iron Man 3, Advanced Idea Mechanics. (laughs) See, that movie posited more than you fucking thought. Captain America has only fucked up every heavy. Captain America... Oh, here's, here's something, all you fans out there. We all know the Infinity War is coming up, right? <laughs> Check out Inf- uh, Infinity Gauntlet. It's four. I think it's Infinity Gauntlet 4. Captain America looks Thanos dead in the eyes and basically tells him to go fuck himself. Go fuck himself. Here Thanos is, some alien from Saturn, talking to Steve Rogers. Not to mention Thanos is holding the Infinity, the Infinity Gauntlet, which has... All the gems, everything. He's basically, he's not just God. He's like reality. He's existence. And Captain America tells him to go fuck himself. <laughs> and he's a sleeper agent. So, hey, that is that is a very neat twist. Yeah. Like, I like the idea of it. 
But like I said, it's it's all it's kind of just hilarious the fact that like Cap's the worst sleeper agent ever. Yeah, he's <laughs> killed so many of his comrades. He has he has. I'm just I'm just going over what Captain America has done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Captain America died for 20 years and came back and basically basically re-erected. I mean, uh, he basically. He didn't found the Avengers, but he certainly kept it going. Yeah. So every time Hydra's gotten their ass whipped by the Avengers, they can thank their sleeper agent for that. It, <laughs> if your sleeper agent is doing that to you, you activate the sleeper part of the sleeper yeah, agent the sleep- and tell him to <laughs> sit this one on the bench Absolutely. while we do what we've been trying to do. Cap is not a founding Avenger, but he is probably the most tenured and longest serving yeah. Avenger. Some fucking sleeper agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the logic of that is just like really hard. Like I read some like Time article where they were talking about how like they were like laying the seeds for like in the past like two years or whatever. And it's like, all right, that's fine, but you still also have like these 75 years of history where he's just wrecking their shit. They'll they'll work it in, and it will be from that. It'll be this was so we could justify the past couple years. I mean, like I'll be damned if it didn't help them sell some books and get some like mainstream Absolutely. notoriety outside of the movies. That said, okay, because of how successful it, it's been, like and making the rounds just naturally. Yeah, Marvel gets PR. There's no they doubt. They do. Is this something they maybe try to work into the movies, like a storyline? No, no way. They they can't. Um, and they shouldn't, right? Like they shouldn't, which is the real. Like that's another thing, kind of that comes up with reboot and con- continuity is that the publisher will kind of try to sell you things yeah. sometimes, but ultimately, like, on the, like big things on the cover and shit. And, exactly. Yeah. The fan will always win out. Ultimately, it's the readers and the fan base who will dictate what's continuity. Okay. They will say. They will, you know, the fans would never accept that in actuality, Steve Rogers is a Hydra agent. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a great story and there will be some great resolution to it, but it's not the same thing. I wanted to bring up actually, and I'd love to hear. What if we're like 65 years old and he's still a Hydra agent? (laughs) Me? Like if I'm 65 and he's still Hydra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they. I guess I'll be wrong. They really, (laughs) like, but they really commit to it. Um, Let me. I'll throw a couple quick yeah. things at you if you want. Did real quick, did you yeah. read like did you read that issue? Did you see like no, how it happened? I need to go. Do you to know how it happened though? Like the I, the reveal? I do I know that uh his, it's it's well written. Steve Rogers' okay. mother in the Great Depression uh is indoctrinated into Hydra. Okay. We we dealt with that. We dealt with red scares. I yeah. mean there was a there were American communists. That makes parties. sense. It does, it's well written. There's okay. no doubt. Actually, some some per- person brought. <laughs> there's a particular panel that reveals both the full on like the Hydra skull, like the skull with the tentacles, and then at the bottom it says like "Concerned citizens welcome." <laughs> it's like the most PC message with like the most ominous logo. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Let me throw out two quick things. Yeah, if you don't mind. Um, when I'm actually 65, and I'm just gonna call it now. The next big thing, or the big thing that will happen is, when are DC and Marvel going to merge? Yeah. That will happen. In, in our 21st century world, by the 22nd century, 
It will be one content, even though obvious. I, I was trying to think of other companies that spent years and years apart, even though now we know them as one. Right. Like fucking Northrop Grumman. I mean, that's the only example I know because my dad worked there. Right. But those were separate companies. Sure. But they're one now. And it will happen to Marvel. And I mean, I'm AOL sure. Time Warner. Exactly. Like DC's part of Warner. It will happen. Um, um, so at, yeah. one, at one point it will happen. My question, or my, my stipulation, as uh, Richard, as someone who's seen these Marvel films, other than Steve Rogers, can you throw out a tenured Marvel character who would be a good Hydra sleeper agent? My first, mm. I have a first thought. I'm not in love with it. Sure. But if you tell me uh, Howard Stark is a Hydra sleeper agent. I was going to say. Iron like, Man's father. It would have to be. That's with, intriguing. With, it'd have to be someone like with the history, you it's, know? You have, to, you have to be a mortal. Someone involved in World War II. Yeah. Or before. That is, is potentially a yeah. sleeper. So, yeah, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was Tony Stark because of his lineage. Right. And you can, you know, work that in there. Right. Um, no one else really has that kind of background. I agree. I don't know many. Um, I'm just sort of flying by to see my pants right here. I can't think of anyone specifically who I really think would be great, but... You know, you know who I'd be fucking surprised to hear who's a Hydra... Se- you know where Hydra needs a sleeper agent? Where? Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. Ooh. You tell me that... Ooh. You tell me that Scott Summers, one of the captains of Xavier's famed X-Men, is a Hydra sleeper agent? Yeah. That, I'd be like, shit. That's, yeah. That, that's got something. Hell yeah. And it gives Wolverine an excuse to fucking fight. To fucking finally gut him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Apocalypse comes out this week, right? Yes, it does. Um, I do believe so. Have you heard anything about it? Heard it's not great. Okay. Heard it's not as good as first uh, as Days of Future Past. See, here's the thing, man. I fucking love First Class more than Days of Future Past. Uh, I'm down with you there. I am down with you there. Well, I, I like them both a lot. I can see how Apocalypse is not shaping up to be an excellent film. Yeah. Uh, our friend Spencer saw it on Friday. Okay, did he have thoughts? And I, yeah, I asked him like so because he's been maybe more on the hype train for this movie than fucking any of us. I think he's been reading a lot of X Men lately. He has, <laughs> <laughs> and he said he loved it, but he'd be interested to see like what someone would say who like hasn't been reading as much as he has. I'm I'm very because uh, I've been skeptical about this one. I'm intrigued and pleased by like the decade procession that they're doing that's cool that's an interesting wrinkle i think that's very cool yeah i think that they are going to benefit from that happening um you know what's really a tough you know i gotta say if there's anything that didn't sell me or like reverse sold me was oscar isaac's makeup it's like yes apocalypse doesn't look good i love oscar isaac me too but like even between uh uh apocalypse and whoever, like, Olivia Munn's playing, and, like, some of those other costume, costumes, it just looks like basic bitch Lycra superhero. Like, this is what superheroes get made fun of. It's a regression to, like, Daredevil. Yeah. Like, fucking, you know, it I just don't know, doesn't or whatever. look Or Last good. Stand. It's a regression to Last Stand, because it's 
Yes, it doesn't look good. Yeah. I fucking agree. And also with Last Stand, it looks like they're trying to fucking shoehorn in a lot of people. I think there's a lot going on. I'm not so much worried about that, but really just the pure image and picture of it, like, especially with Apocalypse. I had to say, like, I thought Apocalypse looked pretty intimidating in the comic books. Sure. He was, if nothing else, he was physically imposing while still looking kind of weird. But... Um, ever since I believe it was a big like EW and Entertainment Weekly reveal of that makeup work and that yeah. costume, not a it fan. Didn't look good. Not a fan. Also, I mean, here's the thing too, and you know, I think we probably addressed this before, but like, you do run into a problem with like repeatedly with repeated stakes. You know, part of part of good comic book storytelling and and storytelling in general is is the modulation of what's at stake. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's a personal relationship. Sometimes it's just, you know, are Magneto and Charles Xavier going to be able to still be friends after this? Yeah. And the answer is no, and that's a very powerful thing, is the fact that a friendship is broken. You know, you don't necessarily need to risk every human life yeah. that's going on. And I, I will say, trailer-wise, I was really put off by Apocalypse because they were just hammering home this kind of in apocalypse it's yeah. like look we every 10 years we can't risk every human life yeah it's got to be these need to be ideological battles and and personal battles more so than just body counts right yeah i think that's a great point well thank you buddy <laughs> <laughs> not not that you don't give me props but i appreciate it yeah. I, I i do genuinely mean that some of the best stories some of the best stories see the I'm not trying to be really dramatic, but they see the death of a friendship or the death of a relationship, uh, and that's can be much more powerful yeah. than than just the masses or or the trials and then like you know, getting yeah. through it. Like like yeah. you know, you said that it made me think of Civil War again True. with with uh, uh, Iron Man and Captain America. Absolutely, there was you know um, the part in the trailer, the the Civil War trailer. That I can't remember if it was in the movie or not, but I don't think it was. Or was it the part where, um, like, they're fighting? They're in the middle of fighting, Captain mm-hmm. America and Iron Man. And Captain America's like, what are you expecting me to do? He's my friend. And then Tony Stark's like, I thought I was, too. Yeah, so was I. So was I. So yeah, was yeah, yeah. I. Was that in the movie? I don't remember if it was or not. But I remember that being, like, the one part of the trailer that I'm just like, Fuck, that was good. I believe it was when they were going up the silo, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Because, again, there's a lot of cutting sometimes between trailer and movie. But, but yeah, beautiful. Hit us up. Uh, pick the pot on Twitter if I'm just, like, having a complete brain fart right yeah. now. And, and hit us up for just any, you know, anyone who's reading comics out there or just or fucking novels or whatever, you know. Yeah, no, what you reading? What you reading? What you reading? Uh, you know, and again, right before, you know, again, real final note because I know we've been doing a little stuff, but this... This uh, Swamp Thing trade paperback that Rich has, he's about to read a story that deals with not just, like, death of relationship, deals with the death of identity. It deals with, like, what happens when what you thought you were mm-hmm. is, is not right. You know, it's like, that's what makes these stories so powerful. You know, again, it's not, it's not all about, you know, Rich is going to read this Swamp Thing 21. Uh, it's called The Anatomy Lesson. There's about two characters in that story, but the revelations, as you're going to see within, you know, the storytelling is like it revises it revises someone's entire history, and that's what makes powerful storytelling. You know, uh, super quick one last thing because I noticed sure. that here it says it's by Vertigo Comics. Yeah, but 
Swamp Thing is a DC property now? Yeah, see, um, when this was being published uh, back in the 80s, there was still the DC imprint. imprint. The vertical, the I'm sorry, the Vertigo. Vertigo imprint did not come about until the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and that is when DC... DC started to incorporate its darker, you know, uh, properties into this other imprint. Okay. Um, if you're familiar with, I don't think I'm totally out of my mind, Preacher, which will be premiering on AMC later this year. Was uh, it? I think it premiered. No way. I'm pretty sure it Did premiered. It really? Yeah, it premiered already. Well, that's not good news. If I don't know that it actually premiered, that's not I, great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it did premiere, uh, and I was going to ask you about it. Well... The, the Vertigo imprint became the home for these darker these darker tales and things like that, including Preacher, including Swamp Thing. Uh, what else? I think it was published still under this. One of the, the modern masterpieces written by late-era Swamp Thing writer Brian K. Vaughn, Why the Last Man. Yo, you want to make a fucking investment? Go on eBay Drop the three, four hundred you need to get a Why Last Man number one. Buy yourself a Why the Last Man number one. Because that shit ain't losing value any fucking time soon. It's no Walking Dead one, I wouldn't say, mm-hmm. but f- kind of close. Yeah. Get on there. Uh, so the pilot premiered May 22nd. Holy shit. Yeah. Wait, when was that? Five days ago? Six uh, days ago? Yeah, last weekend. Um, I don't have eyes. so not this past weekend but the weekend before that um and then the next episode is until june 5th Mm. um i heard it was really fucking good i'm sure it was very good so it's a cool idea yeah and uh, um so check i I, we both need to check that out because as far as what you watching personally i have not watched that much what about you i have not watched a whole ton either i'm i'm in a position to uh, I swear to God, by the time I come back for next episode, I will actually have something. Yeah. I won't even spoil it for you, but I'll be able to have watched okay. something. Um, no, no, I haven't watched a lot. And in particular, just for Preacher, this might be a resurgent moment for AMC. Yeah. Which they need. <laughs> they do need. They need a resurgent moment. They're doing fine, but they need another shot. They haven't had a new hit. They haven't had a new hit since... Walking Dead. Exactly. They Their others have fallen flat. Yeah. Preacher could be the answer they're looking for. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I hope it fucking works out for them. hope it does too. Um, I, the only thing I've been actually continuously watching aside from wrestling is uh, Game of Thrones. Nice. Um, which this season has been really, really, really fucking good so far. Um, and I'm up to date about, about the th- Third episode of the season. Yes. Okay. I uh, heard there's been some major moving and shaking. There has been. Since then. Yes. Finally, for in some cases, um, and there's still a few more where they can move and shake a little bit more. But one, it's been super fascinating so far since this is the first time that we're free of the books, right? And in the last episode in particular, I'll try to dis- explain this without spoiling anything for you. Um, you can if you want for okay. me, but for do whatever you want sure. for listeners. But for me, I'm I want to be up to date. Well, it's just very. I would love to know what came first, the chicken or the egg. With, I'll just I'll just go on and say it with Hodor. Go for it. 
Um, oh, that's right. I yeah. think I heard a little bit about that. Okay, so has this all been revealed to you and spoiled? Well, only I know that I, there, there was a flashback of him actually talking, right? Right, Coherently. yeah. Yes. Is yeah. there another piece of information on top of that? Um, I mean, you pretty much find out, like, what happens and why he can only say Hodor. Which is what? Just lay it I, on me, baby. I'm not, I'm not gonna. Right. You need to watch the episode. I'm gonna say is that... But that's really all you need to know, though. And I, do, I would love to know this prediction. Well, I don't think it's book-related. And not that that's not that that's the holy grail, and I give a shit. But in in popular television, there are sto- there are questions people want answered. Uh huh. And I don't necessarily know that they're substantial and that they add a lot, but you can answer them. So m- without knowing exactly what you're talking about, I would. That's my position. It's like, is this fucking important, or does it matter? Maybe not at all, but. Does this answer a question? Yeah, yeah. totally. It's it's it, uh, that is exactly kind of where that falls. Is this doesn't really play a large part this in the is, grand scheme of uh, the story, but not a fan of that stuff. But go ahead. But but it has been always something that's lingered since episode one. And sure, you found out all this dude says is Hodor. Well, I read about I read about four and a half books, and I never gave a shit. He was a retard. Please excuse me, but also don't. I don't care. Uh, but anyway, but that and, well, if it if it provides something, that's good. Well, and I can see it like coming across <laughs> a little bit less. You know, I can see it coming across like not really caring on the page, especially if all you're reading is Hodor. But like on the show, it's important. I love that character. Oh well, that's good. Like that character was always able. Like that actor was always able to like provide. Like you that know, that does make a difference. When uh, dimensions. When that, uh, and again, I truly am sorry. Please understand, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, so I'm sorry. But when when an actor does uh, personify material, that's actually a great point. That that in itself is a great point. Yeah. Even something rudimentary as saying the same thing, the same yeah. thing can still be personified by a performance to the point that. Becomes a fan favorite. Yeah, and so like you know, he's not like a mentally challenged guy or whatever or anything like that. But so you find out like the origin of like his name and like how that happened and how he became like that. And and I, all I'm trying to get to is what's interesting to me. You kind of brought this up is like, is that something? Because because we're in uncharted territory, is that something that the creators Benny Off and Weiss were kind of told? By George R. R. Martin, like this is what his name is and how it happened, or are they taking this character that had no explanation and no origin, and did they like retcon that in there? Right. It, it's just super interesting, especially for people that have like read the books and. It is a great question. You know, and they're gonna have to do that with not just like character stuff, but story stuff. Well, they're going to have to do it. I do, and not to prolong the discussion, but I do want to say from someone who's read, I never got the sense that Hodor's habit was he was a typically normal person with something preventing him from saying only that. I use that unfavorable term only because it was to demonstrate that he was a, a limited individual and that's what he did. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that because the sense I'm getting is that like we're talking about like an otherwise normal person who's almost been cursed to just say one I thing. I mean, kind of, yeah. Versus versus 
Again, a developmentally right. yeah. limited person who that was always the perception that I got from these right. uh, books. And so, so you don't really have the flashbacks to go back and know that, like, no, mm. he wasn't always like this. We got to figure this out. That's good. Yeah. So I mean, just the, just the fact that you're saying he wasn't always like, see, because that was always an assumption in the books, too. Wow. Like, okay. I mean, it was never explicit. Right. But like as like a stable hand, it's just like. Yeah, that's Hodor. It's not like, oh, old Hodor would have articulated this. Sure. It's like, no. Hodor has said Hodor from the day he has came out of the womb. And you said that you saw the flashback where he can like talk and he's just like a normal. I have not seen that. No. But oh, okay. I, so I, but knowing that it's there, yeah. it's like. I'm looking is... forward to you getting caught up and seeing all okay, that. Okay, cool. We will very, again, very also save that for, for next week's episode. Um, but yeah. So aside from that, that's really all I've been watching. Cool. Um, yeah, and we will come back to this week's show, a host pick by Richard Camelucci, 1995's Mr. Show. Welcome back, everybody, after that little intermission. Here we are. Rich and I are here to discuss the show of this week's episode, 1995 HBO by Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, Mr. Show. And first of all, fucking bad karma over to you, HBO Go, for mixing up your goddamn episodes. Yeah, well... (laughs) Kind of like I brought up with you mid viewing party, reviewing party we had this afternoon. Was this an intentional choice? Uh, so what happened was yes. uh, I was rewatching what HBO has listed as episode one of season one of Mr. Show with Bob and David. Right, the pilot, the yes. episode one, season one. Sometimes there's different language, but generally, and first episode. So I'm rewatching it because we missed uh, the episode last week, and I was just refreshing. And Robert comes over, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I was just rewatching this. You mind if, I, if we like finish it up before before we start talking?" He's like, "Sure." So I hit play, and Robert notices very quickly, like, "What is what is this?" Uh, yeah, I notice uh, in particular. I'm like, "Oh my god, Jack Black is involved in this sketch." I was like. I would have remembered that. I was like, I must have really missed that. I was like, I watched the pilot. You know, Rich, Rich told me he really he revealed it on last week's, uh, uh, you know, preview episode, uh, pitch episode, uh, Mister Show episode one, season one. I was like, totally. I watched it. And I was like, I don't remember Jack Black. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, that's weird. Yeah. So I look it up, and. So the episode description for what HBO says is the first episode has absolutely nothing to do with what's in the episode, which I thought was an intentional thing. Right. Because a a joke. Well, because David Cross on his comedy albums doesn't put the names of, of like he just makes the names of tracks something completely unrelated to what the actual joke is. Sure. So I thought that was an extension of that. Right. It was not. <laughs> right. I watched the second episode of 
of Mr. Show. And again, through clear, through no fault of Rich, Rich picked episode one, season one, on HBO Go yeah. of Mr. Show. You would think if one place would get it right. It would be the proprietor, yeah. the original owner of the content. However, when, uh, when I had not any idea about this Jack Black episode and I started talking to Rich, I was like, well, I just looked it up on YouTube and I, here I have. This is what I have. In particular, the episode that I watched had a fairly lengthy conceptual introduction of what the show was. It was. It was very long. It felt, it felt almost about third of the show. It was very yeah. long. And it, it felt very much like people doing bits at a party. Yes. Like it was very much and and I know part of it was constructed that way because they addressed it being that. Yeah. But it still didn't make it didn't make it work on TV any better. It did not. Yeah. So, in any case, yeah. What we're telling you right now is that Rich and I watched both the official chronologically first episode of Mr. Show as well as the second episode yes. of Mr. Show. And that is was that specifically happened because HBO Go has those two episodes flip-flopped. And as Robert kind of mentioned to me when we realized like that the, that this is what happened, he's, he's like, oh, well, all right, yeah, because the first episode wasn't that great. And I'm like, the second episode was fucking hilarious. Yeah. And then after we watched both, Mr. Conspiracy Theory came up with, maybe they did that on purpose. I don't know if it is. It's a tough sell. I, I mean, it's... I could never know. I don't know what HBO's thinking. I do have a former boss who works for HBO. I should ask oh. her. I do, actually. <laughs> and she's super nice. She's a great lady. But. Yeah, it, it was weird that that happened. It's a weird, like, uh, just data thing to have happened. Like, oh, we uploaded the wrong thing to the wrong slot or whatever. I'm going to, you know what? Even though I, not that I have faith in any of my thoughts, but I am going to say it's intentional. I, the second episode that Rich and I watched or the chronologically second episode, yeah. way stronger than number yeah. one. Plus has an appearance from star, arguably, Jack Black. I mean, definitely not at the time. But, like, no, no, right. nobody was a star at the time. I feel like exactly. I always get the sense that the same way that um, – I'm probably going to end up drawing a lot of comparisons between Mr. Show and the state. Uh -huh. But, like, the same way that uh, the, the everyone involved with the state seemed to be, like, these sort of New York rejects that, you know, they weren't doing, like, stand-up which is what New York was for at the time. It was for stand-up. And they were like these weirdos doing sketch mm -hmm. ended up getting a show. Like I feel like that Mr. Show and all the people involved with that were the same way but for L.A. Like there were some of them were sort of doing stand-up, but like they were doing sketch as well. And they were just like these weird just fringe alt comics that were doing these shows at these like little places like N-Bar and stuff. Yes. And... And, and yeah, and it just became this. And there's uh, one sketch in particular on the first episode um, about, like, trying to, like, prank this priest yeah. or whatever that's just not really good at all. And I told you, basically, yeah. my theory for that is, like, that's probably one of their live show sketches. Yeah. That they, for the pilot, they were probably just, like, you know, trying to slap some stuff together. Because you can also see the quality in filming and, like, production kind of go up a little bit more from the first episode to the second. It's definitely clear. I mean, the quality of filming, the production value, even like the nerves almost. It's yeah. just like the second episode. And the confidence. Yes, exactly. Exudes a much greater confidence than what must have been like 
the the true pilot, you know? Yeah. The filming of like, this is the first time we're doing anything called Mr. Show. We're in a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Which David Cross very, very greatly skewers in the second episode. Yeah. Can you just bring up real quick uh, the, the image, the, the logo of Mr. Show? Yeah. What do you think? Do we know who does that? Like, I have no idea who did it's that. It's the most whacked out cartoon. Yeah. I'm in love with it. I'm in love with it because of it, how abstract it is. It looks like a piece of art that it's you'd find nutty. somewhere. Yeah. And, and I am thankful that it is associated with... I have, I have feelings about how much I enjoy this show. And actually... We previously reviewed Bob and David, or at least talked about it. We talked, yeah, we, we talked, talked about we didn't with Bob it. and David, yeah. We talked about it. So I have previous feelings, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that in the comedy realm that that image is kind of grandfathered in with, yeah. with two, you know, to two creative talents who are um, associated with some of my favorite properties, yeah. that being Breaking Bad and Arrested Development. Right. So, so I just wanted to give a shout out to the, the, the Mr. Show logo as like a... A touchstone for very interesting time. I uh, so the first episode we're pretty much in step and in line with like agreeing that it wasn't that great. There were definitely still funny moments. Like right. it took a a long way to get there in the um, the change for a dollar sketch. Like it had too much setup up top, and there were like jokes that didn't need to be there, and it was just a little long. But I I remember watching that sketch like on when it was in reruns on Comedy Central. I remember that sketch. I'll be 100% honest with you. Um, I was so put off by the start of that sketch, I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to the conclusion. It puts itself in a hole. When, when today, prior to this recording, when we watched it again, it does work. It's, it's yeah. like a rule to infinity type thing. Yeah. And, and again, you got to... And also, just uh, just logistically, we're talking about thirty minute episodes for both of these. These are this is a thirty minute show. Yeah. Okay. So if you're gonna undertake even a five minute sketch, that's a sixth of your time. Um, and if you're gonna undertake what felt like a seven, eight, nine minute sketch, yeah. like the change for a dollar, I mean that's that's a third of your show. That's a huge gamble on one idea, which even though. Ultimately, it is very funny. I find it very funny. Yeah. The setup is basically so painful to go through. You, well, you it has nothing to, to do it. with what the actual meat of the sketch is. It doesn't. No, yeah. it does not. Um, I was listening to an interview with uh, with Scott Ackerman, who would work on the show in the third and fourth seasons. And he talks about how uh, Odenkirk... Because like, Odenkirk was the one that was actually coming in with some sort of like pedigree to the show. Whereas like everyone else is pretty much just kind of like a, a L.A. alt comic. Right. But Odenkirk, Odenkirk had worked on SNL. He, he came from Second City. He worked on SNL. And this show was, like, in the way that it was approached was somewhat of a, a, a reaction to SNL. Yeah. In that, yes, it very much is. And he talks about how um, where at SNL, like, it's very much, like, cut and final and, like, sort of political. And, and there's a lot of final words. Whereas in the writing process for Mr. Show, it was almost too demogra- uh, democratic and, and how like if someone kind of pitched like a not great premise, uh, like they would pitch it and anyone else would go, eh, no. Odenkirk would go then, 
tell me why you think that's funny. Yeah. And then like extrapolate from that. Like, or well, why is that funny? And then until everyone in the room is talking about just this one thing that might start out as a shitty premise. Yes. Oh man. And then they try to like unpack where it is that there actually is funny in there and try to mine it, which is like maybe a long and roundabout and not fruitful process, but it is very democratic and it gives credence to everyone's ideas. It is. Um, and weighing the value of, I'm so happy that you brought that up because that was exactly one of the thoughts that I had in actually the, the conclusion of the second episode. And it's a great question to ask of what's more important. Uh, what do you give more weight to? Is it this ultimately a more democratic process that is allowing multiple writers, multiple talents, even not even writers, just performers, you know, almost like a showcase to demonstrate talent versus like an authoritarian SNL, Lauren Michaels final review yeah. thing. I did just, and again, just to make completely explicit, I felt there were multiple things in the second episode, particularly with, well, and, and it gets tough because a joke in Mr. Show turns into the whole theme. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's an interconnectedness to Mr. Show, which is it's admirable and it works sometimes. And sometimes, it's ambitious. I, I don't personally get so much enjoyment from it. It's ambitious, which is the great word, yeah. which is it's a, it's a serious undertaking that requires effort that is just admirable in its attempt um, that turns a joke or every joke ultimately into the theme. I did feel more than anything, and I felt it was very much a Kirkman, Odenkirk-centric, not Kirkman, yeah. Odenkirk-centric uh, impulse to take basically a bad idea and make it work. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a bad idea, but a weak idea. Like not the strongest idea. Take a weak idea and do it till it works, which blows my mind because I never would have thought of that. And it's also like a work ethic beyond like what anyone's usually like willing to put out. I also, the other thing I like about that approach is it actually makes you back up what the fuck you're talking about. And you're not just like, pitching something to be heard or to pitch something, but you actually have to fucking back it up. True. And, and if you don't, you're going to make sure that you fucking do next time you bring something up. Yes. I will say maybe one of the things <laughs> I most like in Mr. Show is even if I don't find a sketch funny, mm -hmm. I can typically, I can usually identify the kernel of the sketch and, and identify with it. Yeah. It's like, Maybe in the in the change for a dollar sketch, it's this idea of the simplicity of making change for a dollar is is such that if anyone were to hesitate, as I'm sure in real life, Fred Cross or Odenkirk, someone did, mm -hmm. what could possibly be the reason for hesitation? Yeah. So again, like even if I don't sort of laugh a ton at some of these things i appreciate this idea of like deep 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 down there's a kernel of like a good idea yeah in there. and there's also like i feel like that also may have started as like hey man how can we stick it to bureaucracy and shit you know sure that's kind of like, like a reverse engineering of of that sort yeah of concept. so like you take that and you mix it with that kernel and like that's what you end up with all this said <laughs> It's tough to, tough to say how much I really dug Mr. Show or would be able to honestly admit that I'd be coming back to it. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about... Especially after that second episode? I mean, the second episode was way... All right, look, it was way funnier than the first. Yeah. And I did enjoy... 
I feel like I feel like there's a lot of work involved with appreciating the show. That really? You, yeah, I feel like you can't just sit down and absorb and sort of. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of the crux of what it is and where it gets its fans from is the 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 effort that's required from the audience. But I think it is. I think the audience both needs a patience to let an idea play out and the willingness to sort of deconstruct an idea to further appreciate it. Yeah. I think uh, it was super interesting, not just at the time, but I feel like it's also aged well as well because... At the time, putting together this 30-minute sketch show for HBO, you could say whatever you want. You don't have commercials, um, which I can also see kind of becoming like weird because that yeah. you have to kind of like fill for time. I mean, it's not like you're putting together an hour and a half SNL, but at the same time, like you only need like you have like a third of the staff. Yeah, 50 minutes. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so like at the time I could see it being this weird uncharted territory to where like, all right, well, what can we do with sketch in this new kind of um, box that we get to this sandbox that we get to play in. Yes. And so I could see like them kind of like misstepping or overstepping because they're, it is kind of an experience experiment. It is very new. And then I feel like it's aged really well in that one. It's still like a lot of the shit is very salient. Like the, uh, a lot of the, the the social consequence type of stuff that they they hit on and the more socially conscious sketches are still pretty fucking relevant today. Yeah. Um, and it shit like rings pretty crystal. Um, but also it's just as fun to notice familiar faces such as Paul F. Tompkins, Brian Posehn, Marilyn Rice Cub, fucking the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Uh in the yeah. first episode they had like Conan and Andy Richter like do yeah. like a little bit, which was weird. Oh, great turn one line turned by Janine Garofalo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one line. One one photograph and one spoken line. Yeah. Um and someone else who was really fucking great in the show, I thought uh, oh, another one, Tom Kenny, a bunch of Tom Kenny, voice of oh, SpongeBob. Like we talked about, Tom Kenny, yeah. who just fucking must be rich out the ass at this point. And he could probably like still go do whatever he wants. Like he could still go do stand up and stuff. I like, would. We we definitely need a biography or a, a we need an inside the actor studio absolutely. with John or Tom Tom, Tom Kenny. Kenny. Excuse me. You know who we he def- grew up with? Who like childhood buddies with? Bobcat Goldthwait. No way. Yeah. They met. Incredible. I was, I was listening to this uh, interview with Bobcat, and he was talking about how, like, they were in school. They both went to, like, Catholic school, and Bobcat, like, did something to, like, make one of the nuns cry. And, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> and at recess, Tom Kenny goes up to him, and he's like, hey, man, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot, you know, uh, everyone. There's a kind of like the the recognized and the unrecognized. Yeah. You know, and you really want to talk about somebody who's putting the time as a especially as a comedic performer to and just to not have like super brand recognition or name recognition among the masses. Tom Kenny, I'd yeah. love to pick his brain about stuff. For sure. Uh, you brought up a lot of great points and a couple of which I I would definitely agree with. One or two I would a little bit question. I think that I, I do applaud them in 1995 for bringing up 
um, or taking the opportunity to use HBO for sort of like the social satire yeah. that wouldn't have been possible elsewhere. You know, so also they, before HBO had any other like long form shows. Absolutely. Either. I mean, HBO is basically a premium channel that shows like good movie reruns yeah. at this point. You know, like we're not we're not in any sort of Sopranos age. No, like, that is not a thing. Uh, that other name that I, I was going to bring up, by the way, who I thought was really, really good in the second episode. Yes. Uh, that isn't like a thing today. I, I don't see him anywhere. John Ennis. He's the guy who played like the head of the corporation in the Globo Chem sketch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played, he's the guy that come, coming home from work that, no, no shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I thought he was really Great. fucking good. Like, and just wasn't in, you just don't see him anymore. I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, I, and watch, he's like probably dead or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be like, you idiot. Unfortunately. Uh, but, but I don't think he is. Uh, he may have been in with Bob and David. I'm sorry, but I cut you off. No, no problem at all. But, um, so I think a lot of accolades are deserved with, um, uh, there's mentioned, uh, you know, there's a great, uh, sketch dealing with homosexuality, which, um, if, if nothing else, like we need to appreciate just because like we need to not take it for granted. You know, again, like we're already at an age where 20 years ago, it's like, you know, again, like we don't even fret about the attitude toward homosexuality now. Cause 20 years ago they were really yeah. unaccepting, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like that I appreciate. There's even mention of a, uh, you know, transgenderism, transsexuality, things like that. Mm-hmm. Kudos to them, you know? And, and certainly you would, you'd always have me believe that if there's two people who aren't afraid to do something, you could put Odenkirk and cross at the top of that list. Like they don't fucking care. It's like, they're not, they're not intimidated by no. norms. No. I would. Uh, uh, turns out John Ennis has been in a bunch of shit that I've watched. Oh. So I'm just an asshole. Oh, no. It happens. You know, it happens. <laughs> you never know. He just has not aged well. Maybe I'm we, sorry. Go ahead. We just don't see his face as clearly or whatever. But um, I, I, the, the concept of sketch aging well is something I did want to bring up. And socially, I think it's, it did a good job to be at the forefront, like the vanguard of what was going on. I do think that there, I do think in, for sketch in particular, there, there, the, like the simpler, the better almost mm-hmm. in terms of agelessness. I mean, there's Monty Python sketches that are pushing 45, 50 years old mm-hmm. that work still, mm-hmm. but less so because they're edgy or they're on the vanguard more so for the opposite. Like, like the parrot sketch, the parrot sketch in Monty Python has got to be approaching 50 years old mm-hmm. if it's not older. It's ridiculous. It's not in any kind of way socially aware, but it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that sketch in particular, in order to age well, is actually better served to avoid topicality and, and the vanguard yeah. and more to go for like a clear-cut concept, which if I have anything sure. to contri- could, like, critique them with, it's like there are sketches that just like, I don't get what the basic idea is here. Okay. Um, what do you think? I'm done talking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. I, I again, I and I just want to say overall, I appreciate them both very much. Mm-hmm. I certainly appreciate Odenkirk and Cross far more in projects that they're not writing. I mean, you want to talk about Tobias in Rest Development. You want to talk about 
one Saul in Breaking Bad and Saul, but also just as a exec producer for. I know you're not a huge fan, but Tim and Eric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I much much more prefer those efforts mm -hmm. than any direct effort I've ever seen from either of them. I uh, uh, I think just kind of one last thing with the um the uh, uh, evergreenness of like a sketch. Sure, you're definitely right. I mean that's. Uh, uh, you know, on paper, like that's the key to having like a sketch that's going to be able to stay relevant, not relevant. Relevant is the right word because it's not relevant to anything, relatable. but it's still relatable yeah. is to avoid any sort of like social thing or anything like that. But what I was, all I was really trying to say was like 20 years later, the fact that this is like still kind of relevant yeah. today. See, that's, that's, that's the difference I feel like is like there was shit that, that was in Mr. Show that like is actually still relevant 20 years later. Yeah. Um, that like they, they weren't expecting to be. True. Um, and then there's also just like silliness. Like you brought up earlier, like David Cross is, he can kind of carry a tune. David Cross can <laughs> fucking sing dog. And yeah. he does like, they do like a whole, like the last third of the second episode oh, is just a straight man. up musical, Somewhere which is hilarious. Over the rainbow. <laughs> There's another rainbow. <laughs> That's one of my all-time favorite Arrested Development lines from from David, in general, but yeah. sung by David Cross. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I really dig, and I think another reason why I like what they do so much, and because they do have such a fearlessness of of what they do, and they do attack, like they do attack. Yes. Yeah. Like it's not like oh we're taking it down, but like the same way that people would right. describe Chris Farley as attacking the stage. They like attack a sketch. It's not a passive disregard for norms. Yeah. It's like, we're going to hammer home what is making people uncomfortable. It just, whenever I watch this, it unlocks something in me that makes me feel a way that I don't get when watching SNL or, uh, any other sketch show like Friends of the People or I, I haven't watched Party Over Here yet. That's the one that like Paul Shear and the Lonely Island are producing. I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> but <clears throat> I'll be damned if it just doesn't make me like if it doesn't remind me and make me feel all the same things that we felt when we, we were, were doing, doing Generation. That's true. I was totally while watching this, I had thought of a recent premise I thought up, and I was like, I need to go back and like write out that premise. Yeah, man. Like the way that we were just doing it back then. One is a, a another example of kind of like hearing everyone's ideas out and like yeah. seeing them through, and and just not and just fucking going for it. Like there wasn't a topic or a word that was like off. Like off limits for us or anything like that. Absolutely. And this is not me trying to sort of shoehorn your feelings into like my critiques. But, yeah. But I, I truly mean this like maybe that's virtue enough to for this show. Like mm -hmm. maybe if it wasn't funny at all, which it is. It's yeah. funny at times. And, and, and especially in the second episode, very frequently. But maybe if it weren't even funny, maybe it's virtue enough just to sort of inspire that feeling of like, there, there are no limits. Like, mm -hmm. don't restrain yourself yeah. from exploring this idea. Yeah. Do for it. You know, and I think that, again, as many things that are, I'm going to sound really sort of melodramatic, but as many things that are, like, priceless, it's like we often don't appreciate them. Yeah. We don't appreciate, like, how unbelievable a thought that is. 
you know, and that's probably why, again, why I don't personally find some of the shit he does so funny. Odenkirk and Cross are active to this day. Yeah. You know, you're looking at... And relevant to this day. Yeah, exactly. Relevant to this day. You're looking at 35, 40-year careers yeah. for these guys. Yeah. And that's not something... Again, I was, I was having a conversation with a friend of the show and personal friend Colin Cunningham, and I was sort of lamenting some guy at my new work who said he wants to be like um, TJ Miller. And I was like, well, I get what you're saying, but... I don't know if you do. And Colin was like, I want to be like Bob Odenkirk. And yeah, oh, like, and also, yeah. like, I don't know if you can. Exactly. Like, TJ, I like TJ, but that's what is so much of him is exactly. just like, it's just who he is. And like, he's another kind of like weirdo. Oh, yeah. Um, who's fun. But yeah, I Bob think, Odenkirk is something much more to like want to aspire to. And I think, that, I think it's the aspirations you need because. Even this guy, let's say he is unique enough to be the next TJ. It's like TJ can't TJ to anyone else. Yeah. Whereas Odenkirk, Odenkirk had again, like I said, like you, you can confirm me till forever. I am on board with Tim and Eric, and it, Odenkirk had fifty percent to do with. He can those see guys it and develop getting, it exactly. Yeah. Odenkirk was able to do that. So, so you know. W- you know, regardless of your feelings or my, not yours, but the listener's feelings or my feelings that, you know, this Mr. Show is like, it holds something that's really, really valuable. Yeah. And it's almost like the, uh, I mean, it is it's like the flashpoint of like the rest of like, it's the, the. I am bad with words today. No, oh, the flashpoint is a great, it's an, it's the ignition yeah. of an, of a, of a, of alt comedy on other media. Yeah. You know, and it's like you don't have to go to a theater to see weird right. shit anymore. Like, this is a this is a weird show. And as you mentioned before, the state, Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is all concurrent with this, like, late early to mid-90s, like, alt comedy is taking to, it's out of the stage. Yeah. It's on media. It was like the... <laughs> The same way like grunge and like Nirvana and Pearl Jam were a reaction to these big stadium glam rock acts. Right. Like this was the reaction to these large shoulder pad stand up hack acts from the eighties. Exactly. Um, which is another thing that I kind of liked as far as the aesthetic about the show is um, like Bob always being like the clean cut in a suit and David being the counterculture, like just, Dressing like garbage. That's like garbage. Again, it's like I like I won't fall. I mean, I dress like that was in like junior high, but it is it is garbage. It is, Wearing like some drab color shirt with the collar stretched out, shorts and oversized t shirt. Man, you want to you want to you want a pussy repellent? Do you just wear that shit? Now, I mean, obviously, but it, it it's insane. Also, I I found his earring, his big yep. his big old earring, which yeah. you just picked out, is like that's so nineties. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it is you know, it's a good thing, and it's it is. I don't know if it needed to happen, but I'm glad that it happened. Yeah. And it is the it is the DNA. If you were to sort of chart the DNA of many things oh, that we sure. enjoy today, Mr. Show is an integral yeah. part of that. I feel like the same way there's a certain generation of 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 comedian now that will cite the um the first David Letterman show 
mm-hmm. as yeah. their biggest influence or like yes. Howard Stern as their biggest influence. Absolutely. Like you're going to have a whole nother generation citing. We should have a whole nother generation citing Mr. Show in the state Absolutely. as an influence. And then you're going to have that next generation that's going to cite UCB um, as that influence as well. You know, we take for granted just as sort of like, you know, you just take how popular Broad City is. Yeah. I could almost argue that the, the crudeness or that, that of Broad <clears throat> City, which I know is not its only appeal, but that crudeness leads to that honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's kind of the gateway. Yeah. You know, when you, when you know that you can do anything, it leads to honesty, yeah. which is integral to a lot of what we're enjoying. And like I said, to refer to whether it's workaholics or whether it's Broad City, to be comfortable to be that honest comes from to be comfortable at all, which yeah. is definitely... Probably the greatest contribution that Odenkirk and David Cross gave us. Yeah, with that comes that confidence as well to yeah. be able to do it. And totally. Because if you do it, you're comfortable to do it, but like you're still sort of pensive. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same as if you just fucking put your yeah, put the just, dick on the table. Exactly. Like dick out and do it. So, um, and obviously, episode two is way funnier than episode one was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, I don't know that I would have picked it up off of episode one. I probably would not have. If I if I'd given it three, I think it's a safe bet to say it would have been okay. I mean, granted, the first season was only four episodes. Yeah, that's what we talk so. about this too. That that leads into my conspiracy theory again. Like yeah. with, with only four episodes, I think they're leading with episode two because they know episode one is not that strong. Yeah, and then like with four episodes, you basically it's basically a pilot season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if if they are presenting those four episodes. Like that first one, you're like, oh, oh boy, there there's some funny stuff in there, but yeah. oh boy, and then that second one happens, and it's just like, you know, there's pretty clear through lines and there's a theme and all that stuff, yeah. and it's much more coherent. I would say, I mean, again, for, for the the sake of picking it up or not, if I'm an executive, this is purely an experiment. Like, and I got to make it clear, even with episode two, this yeah. is purely an experiment. It's almost a favor. You know, with episode one, it's door closed. With episode two, it's like, go ahead, but but I this is not how I'm seeing you bettering my network. It's more just like, it's an experiment. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the weird thing about HBO is, yeah. like, they can approach these type of decisions in ways every other network cannot. Right. Yeah, um, totally. And especially in 1995, and they're getting into their own programming – and they right. can like the whole point of picking something up like this is because it is so counter to what every other regular channel is putting out there. Yeah. And at the very least, worst case scenario, you're able to say it's super fucking different. You know, best case scenario, it's different as hell. It's funny as hell. These dudes are super talented. We're going to mine other shows from this. That's where Tenacious D got their sure, show. Sure, exactly. Um, is directly from that. If we can't do this, maybe we can capture something else. Yeah. Just one or two. And they... I'm sort of taking for granted, too, the political environment. It's like, if you know that Tricky Dick's going for term number two, he's gearing up for term number two, I might be like, ooh, we got an edgier SNL than... Yeah. That's how I would sell it, at least. Sure. I'm like, this is an edgier SNL than... Yeah. Your bullshit SNL, yeah. which was actually probably one of its greater times yeah. <laughs> when it was when this was running. Unfortunate for Mr. Show, this is probably a pretty good age for SNL at the moment. Wait, by Tricky Dick, or oh, no, I'm sorry, uh, uh, oh. Slick Willie. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was like, 
Now, if there was SNL during the Nixon administration, holy shit, that was that would probably be great. There was. Just barely. Just barely? Ackroyd as Nixon is a thing. I think we, 75, I think, is. Yeah, 75. Which. Okay, right, right, right. So I don't know if Nick, I don't think Nixon is sitting in office. Yeah. But I'm, I'm about 90% sure we, there's an act but I'm, Nixon. Uh, but I, and I'm talking about like if there was fucking SNL oh, during sure. Watergate. Sure, 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 sure. Like, that holy been a shit. Shit fest. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, fuck, dude. That would have been great. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there were probably plenty of great National Lampoon shows about it during so, the time. Just maybe, maybe just as a, a wrap up, you know, again, we watched Bob and David. We watched the Netflix series. We watched this a little bit, and we we are alive and sent you know cognizant or whatever right now. Do you do you feel like now is a good time for for particularly for Mister Show? What do you mean by that? Like, well, do you think that? Do you think that if again Bob and whatever it's called with Bob and Dave from Netflix yeah. gets renewed for season two. Mm-hmm. Or, Which I think it has. Or I think it's on the table. Do you think that... Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think that there's quality shit to be produced now given the time it is? Do you think... I, I do want to talk particularly about the, our culture right now. Sure. Do you think this is a good time for Bob and David to come back? A bad time? Or just a, you know, a neutral time? Um... I, well, it's interesting. Uh, Netflix didn't put anything out like that before, so it was the first time going into like that type of comedy. Right, and again, really not promoting it other than just saying like, hey, anyone who dug Mr. Show, here's some more Mr. Show. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much how they go about like promoting things these days. Yeah, um, yeah I, I definitely think there's plenty to be said, and I think there's... You know, a lot of stuff that the places that are supposed to be kind of like more on the attack and more, you know, fucking ballsy and and putting it out there aren't doing that. Aren't doing it. You know, like I don't necessarily blame SNL for not doing it because I don't think they have the cast that's equipped to like really handle that. I just don't think they're like mature enough to do it because it's a pretty baby face cast. Baby face cast. And as always, still on network television. Exactly. Um, But uh yeah, I um, I mean, I think fucking they they do. I I thought they had some pretty ballsy sketches on their. I would like that their their first uh, go run. Um, I would like that. I would like to see real balls because you know what? Yeah. I don't think we're seeing them. I think you got to get deep into. I think I get deep into ISIS. I think I get deep into Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I think you got to really have the nuts to start writing some sketches that are skewering yeah most of these concepts i think they had a uh, oh god they did they did have like this weird like terrorist sketch on with bob and david about like oh fuck it's like kind of mapping it over like hollywood executives and stuff like that it was interesting i remember yeah i can't remember I, for the fucking I do life say, either, yeah I, just watching this i was just fondly recollecting that the really funny citizen dashboard cam video of yes. like checking that's what i'm talking about yeah. and and to me that's an idea of like skewering this kind of like oh the cops are insane you know versus like you know you know 
uh, in the sketch at least, it's like, no, just just proceed. Like, we're, yeah. we're not detaining <laughs> you. Like the T the TSA, ISIS. Yeah, you know, I yeah. I mean, there's I you know actually now that I bring up my own question, like I would like to say, and I yeah. would, and you know what. I don't believe there's many other people qualified just to take the leap. Like I yeah. said, just anything even race-related, I don't think there's many people, if any, bold enough to be like, all right, let me really write a sketch about this. Yeah. You know? Uh, but maybe those two would be. So um, I definitely do. Like, I'm, I plan on watching the rest of the series on HBO. I plan on watching. It makes me want to go back and rewatch with Bob and David. It does. I would say that for sure. I would like to take another look at that stuff and yeah. appreciate the, the good stuff that's come through. Cool. So, yeah. Fuck. Well, hey, man, that was a nice, uh, nice long, meaty discussion about it those was. guys. About a lot of stuff. About a lot of things for sure. And thank you so much for hanging in with us the whole time. You know, again, um, if it's your first time listening or if it's your umpteenth time listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Your participation is something that we couldn't do without. So there's always a number of ways you can support the show, and we would really, really appreciate that. A number of ways you can support the show and also get in touch with us. So uh, first and foremost is, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us and rate and review us. You know, those are huge things that really do us a world of good and do the whole Arcade Audio Network a world of good. And as I said... Um, there's a number of ways you can get in touch with us and a number of ways that you can suggest a future show for us. Uh, Rich, would you like to tell us how that goes? First, hey, y'all, get yourself some wine and circus peanuts. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> some wise man once said that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, man, basically uh, hit us up on our Facebook, man. Let us know what you want to watch or what you want us to watch, and you can watch it with us and all that good stuff. Um, we only have a few more episodes uh, this season. That's uh, right. Before our season uh, two finale. Yes, we're going to do a season two finale. And, uh, you know, just uh, sort of appropriate. But uh, so yeah, get in touch with us before then. You know, and again, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Tweet us anything. Tweet us what you're liking. Tweet us what you don't like. Tweet us. Tweet us what you're reading. Tweet us what you're reading. Tweet us how you reacted to one of the things Rich and I said. Hey, look, uh, tweet us if you want to see me shotgun a beer and whatnot. Hell so yeah. Get in touch with us. And again, there's a number of ways. Uh, you can always find the show on Facebook by searching uh, Picked Up Podcast. If you want to email us, email us, email us at pickeduppodcast at gmail.com. And one of our favorite ways, please tweet us at Picked Up Pod. Um, that's big for us, you know? And again, there is an entire network of quality programs that you can always subscribe to, including some new material. So just go to arcadeaudio.net and in, just explore, investigate all the quality programs that are going on there. Uh, Rich, you got anything to add? Uh, hell no, man. Hit me up on uh, uh, Twitter, Rich Cami, Instagram, Rich Cami4, um, arcadeaudio.net. We just launched a new show, Humanoid Resources. Uh, it's a fictionally narrative show, um, or is it, about these tapes that these <laughs> uh, this professor found um, about the HR department of this big star cruiser type of ship. That is what I am talking about. You have a plethora of options at ArcadeAudio.net. There is something for everybody. That's a cliche, but it's the fucking truth. <laughs> there is something for everyone at ArcadeAudio.net. Please check it out. If you want to get in touch with me personally, and you do, you can find me on Facebook at rbravo, rbravo. You can find me on Instagram at real.rob.bravo. And you can find me on Snapchat at 
Rob PBR. So to wrap this up for myself, Robert, for my good friend, former roommate, and good buddy and co-host Rich, thank you so much for listening to Picked Up. Keep your dial tuned to awesome. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net. I drink a whole bottle of wine. (laughs) 